Hello and welcome to the nice episode of Imperial TMT podcast, where we invite innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists from all backgrounds to have mindful conversations about business and technology. I'm your host Jojo. In this episode, we have an alumna from Imperial College Business School, Sophia Lan, the founder of Miramedi. Miramedi is a tea brand that supports women's well-being with a range of herbal blends rooted in traditional Chinese herbal treatments to restore natural balance. Sophia will talk about how to build her successful brand from the ground up to now with hundreds of customers, as well as the secret sauce about making a product stand out in a crowded market. Sophia, thank you so much for joining us in this interview series. You're very welcome to the show. Thank you, Jojo, for having me.、Um, yeah, very a、uh, pleasure to be here.、Uh, I guess I will start from、um, introducing a little bit about myself. So, I am Chinese.、Um, I grew up in China.、Um, after eighteen, I moved to the U.S. for my undergrad study. Some fun fact about me, right? So, I practice yoga for ten years now.、Uh, I love,、um, I guess, natural remedies and spiritual stuff. Uh, I have a very flexible body. I can do a straight split, which people are like, "Wow!" When they see that, they're like, "Okay." And、um, I have this really sensitive nose where I can identify my friends through smell. So not looking at their face, but I would know that's like who via that.、Um, oh, so, yeah, yeah. That's like something that my friends are amused with. Also. Yeah, that that's amazing. So does that mean you will be a very good chef? I I think so. But the thing is, the visual presentation is not aligned. So I think the food I make smells really good,、mm-hmm. but maybe it doesn't look like Michelin standard. <laughs> but I think the smell it does. I mean, in my in my opinion, yeah. Okay, got it. I'd、uh, love to try if I get a chance. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> okay, so before we dive in. Our、mm-hmm. listeners would love to get to know you a bit better. Can you tell us a bit about your backstory and your career so far? Yeah, so I think I did quite a bit of detour to become entrepreneur.、Um, in my high school、um, and also、uh, uni, I wanted to be a director, so I studied film, and that was pretty much my passion: directing people into a, a play, into a theater, performing art. What happened was my、uh, third year. I went to New York City for an internship in a film、uh, production company, and I absolutely hated it. At the time, I was a bit confused,、uh, but accidentally, I went to Barcelona for a study abroad program. But happened to be an entrepreneurship innovation program. So what happened was during that half a year, I developed this. Database, which is it's an app that、um, like it's a little bit I guess the beginning of Miramedi. Basically, what we do is having people's symptoms like you know the color of your tongue and how do you feel your throat to direct you with some herbs that can help with your natural symptoms.、Mm-hmm. So that went very successful. The project itself with the collaboration and all the professors、um, in in Barcelona they were so amused and I was like well actually. If I don't become a director, maybe there's something else for me. And then what happened was、um, I decided to come to Imperial at this innovation program to pursue、um, my, I guess, startup、um, passion. And I, I did quite a lot of projects during that year as well. But I think my family wasn't ready for me 
to become a founder and I wasn't ready mentally. So I spent a year um, basically working for a full-time job in London that was completely irrelevant to um, the startup I'm building, but I just wanted to have the, the money and also ex- some experience working uh, to understand if I, you know, maybe I can just do a full-time or not. I, I think I had that time to really think about it, also engage with Enterprise Lab um, at Imperial to see if this is something I could do. And eventually during the pandemic, um, I started my first business basically. Yeah, that's that's lovely because it sort of led the listeners through how you started your venture and at what point entrepreneurial spirit uh, came to your mind. Yeah, that's very amazing. So what was the aha moment that led to the idea for your current company? Yeah, I because I would say like I grew up with traditional Chinese medicine, um, or like natural um, Chinese herbs. Or we always uh, drink that when I was young. Uh, have different symptoms, but because I think I was surrounded by a very westernized, uh, like my school was very westernized. I went to international school mm-hmm. where I didn't appreciate that bit, but. I think starting from, um, you know, the project I did in Barcelona, that was a start. And also my cramp, like my menstrual symptoms got pretty much worse during uh, my uni time. And one summer I went back to China and my mom basically forced me to drink this tea for three months and really, really improved my symptoms. So I was like, wow, like, you know, I was pretty much having, you know, all these capsules, all these um, pills to basically does things for me like painkillers but then that time I realized there are this kind of magic within TCM that could help people so I think that was sort of the beginning I think what eventually inspired me was during the pandemic year when one of my friends she had really bad symptoms but she doesn't want to take painkillers so I mail her some of the herbs so at the time it's not what you've seen uh, with the product, but like just some loose leaf that she needs to make it herself. But she loved the taste and it really, really helped her with the symptoms. And basically she was like, you need to make this, um, you know, commercialized because it's like amazing. Mm-hmm. So I did some market research um, and understand that actually more than 90% of women suffers from um, um, menstrual symptoms. So I was like, okay, there is an opportunity out um, there for, for this product, basically. Yeah, got it. It's so good to hear your pivotal moment that firstly brought the ideas to business and to where it is today. And I guess there is a transition where Western medicine is now accepting and including many natural healthy alternative to of herbal supplements. And I think it's the key is that what herbs are trending and how to best integrate them into your tea blends. Yeah. So I would also like to know, was there somebody in your life who inspired or helped you to start your journey with your business? I mean, starting a company is really hard, especially during pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think there are so many people who helped me. Like, I want to give shout out to all of them, really. Uh, well, I, I will start, I guess, with my parents. Uh, my dad, he's an entrepreneur. I think without him, I would have never started or thinking or even go to Imperial with that uh, mindset of potentially I want to start a company. The friends at Imperial helped me tremendously. 
Um, they, you know, we did the whole design thinking together. They tried a product. There are a lot of people signing up and bought my product. They are my first customers. Um, Enterprise Lab, that, that was amazing. Um, I, I joined, a, we accelerate a female accelerator program where they help a lot. And I found two of my advisors via Enterprise Lab. They are now working um, within the startup. And I think that would have never happened uh, without Enterprise Lab. And my friend Julia from boarding school and also Eve on Imperial Management, they two are the nutritionists that I've been working with. Um, we did a lot of pivoting and changing things because, uh, you know, the traditional Chinese medicine is so complex. How can we make the uh, Western market understand what we do without, you know, making medical claim, but benefiting people? Mm -hmm. So um, they help a lot in that product development process as well. Yeah, got it. Yeah, it's so nice to have all these friends and family uh, surrounded you at the beginning of your business. But did you take these two nutritionists to do some field studies? Yeah, got it. So basically, when we did the R&D, uh, because there was a pandemic, uh, one of the nutritionists, she was based in London. So we were able to conduct like focus group. Um, how we do the product development is basically the recipe comes from my grandmother. And we'll take that recipe to do some um, like clinic like study with the herbs, whether there's some Western study about like clinical study, whether it works in the menstruation or not. So that as an example, uh, there is another person, uh, she was working in China at the time. So she helped us to like uh, source a lot of herbs and prospect new um, herbs that potentially that we could use here mm -hmm. um, in our products. So that is how we work um, during that R&D process. We did about like a month to eventually make it because also, you know, the product team was not all together. And because of pandemic, it was really difficult to like go to different sites and try different things and even go to manufacture um, or recruit focus group. It was just incredibly hard, but mm -hmm. we somehow managed, uh, but with a pretty long span. I think if we do it now, it would be, let's say, max four months, it would be fine. Yeah, yeah it'll be less easier. And I, I see the, all the challenges and the toughness during um, pandemic. So it's so good you finally figured it out. So yeah. yeah, I think there was a very long process in the beginning, like doing field studies, a focus group, and all the research. So uh, can you tell us the story about the hard times you faced when you started your journey? And maybe just give us an example, because that's easier for listeners to follow. Yeah, I think when you start it, um, you have no traction and it's very difficult to get validation. Uh, what, what happened was in the first, I think, three months, we barely had any sales. And, um, you know, we, we had the website launch, we soft, we soft launched everything people can order. But uh, apart from my friends, we had none external things. And we did like, you know, marketing campaign on social media, didn't work, nothing worked. So uh, at the time, um, one of my friends, he is a founder of a consumer tech company. He's like, go to farmer's market and you'll get a lot of feedback there. So that's what we did. Um, that helped with the pricing also. You know, you can change different pricing at different markets because nobody knows, right? You meet 50 people maximum on that, in that market and then you can change. So I did that experiment. It's very, very interesting because 
when you go there, if they buy your product, meaning that they understand or they bought into the value you deliver within the product. If they don't, then you can you know, investigate. So every farmer's market, I have different goal of things. Maybe today is about the pricing. The other day is about, you know, the traditional Chinese medicine, whether they understand the benefit out of it. So it was very fun to do that, but obviously it's, it's a lot of manual labor work. So, mm -hmm. you know, I need to bring suitcases in the tube to reduce the cost, right? You go to like East London and it's freezing. Sometimes it's yeah. windy and outside. So you're standing there freezing, waiting for customers. And I remember one of the nights um, I did one at Spitalfield Market and it was absolutely crazy that nobody came um, to try the tea. It was a food market. So everyone went for food. And then I, you know, we are giving out free samples. Well, I, I was giving out, it was just me at the time. And nobody wanted to drink the tea. Like I was so frustrated. Like, I think I had a mental breakdown after like the whole day standing there. Um, and then I called my friend. I was like, I need you to come get me now. <laughs> Otherwise I'm fainting. I'm uh, so having friends to support that journey is like really helpful because they pick you up, right? Um, but at the time I was, uh, yeah, I had a mental breakdown. Like I was crying at the market. Mm -hmm. I just felt like, what am I doing in my life? What is going on? I definitely, you have these moments for sure. Yeah, I, I totally fear you because, you know, it's so hard to stand alone in a freezing cold winter days. Yeah, and sometimes nobody um, really care about you and no one came to uh, taste the tea. Yeah, I, I can totally imagine all these things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so did you usually go to the farmer's market alone? Yeah, so at the beginning, definitely, like, you know, friends want to help you out um, or some of the people who had joined our, uh, like, our group for the study, like, for the trial before mm -hmm. we launched. Um, they're, the they're very passionate, like, kind of, we call it the ambassadors of Me Remedy. But then, you know, because you have to go um, almost every other week, the frequency is very high. All these people are working full time, so I can't really bring them there. Um, so yeah, pretty much you did, you did, I did it on my own. Um, I made a lot of friends in those farmers market. Mm -hmm. I got some free food and then you just network. It's, yeah. it's fun. I think yeah. you can learn to enjoy it, but definitely labor intensive. Mm -hmm. So would be great to have some friends to help you out with the decor and everything really like sometimes it could be a nightmare yeah definitely so i think it's really time consuming as you said sometimes just need to stand there uh, all day alone and chatting to people but i i think it's worthwhile because you got a lot of first-hand informations from the customers and uh, did you get any uh, positive early attractions yeah definitely i think uh, apart from like uh, friends and families, like farmers market is definitely my first like group of customers who found me. Uh, you know, it's it's really it's a really a journey. I think physical good product founders should go through because you learn about your customers. You figure out who are this demographic, like what are your customer segmentation. Because when you create a business plan, it's all about assumptions, right? You assume this is going to be your customers. You assume that people are going to buy your product, but at what price, at what value, why do they buy? You don't know. So interacting with them directly is the best way. 
Um, and because farmer's market is a place where you really can sell your product. Like, so it's completely natural for you to be there asking feedback and ask if they want to buy. There's nothing awkward about it. Um, unlike if you're on a street or like, you know, uh, trying to go to a retailers, that's different. That gives you a natural setting of you trying product with a relatively low cost, but intense labor. However, I think really good impact to develop your future business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I could tell from your earlier journey that it's kind of like a roller coaster. So sure, the journey sure. of an entrepreneur is never easy and it's filled with challenges, failures, setbacks, joys, thrills, and celebrations. So can you maybe share a few ideas of stories from your experience about how to successfully ride the emotional highs and lows of being a founder? I, I think it's like hard. I'm still an early stage founder and until now I'm still like, you know, learning how to manage that because I think and in my experience is, you know, when you pitch, when you um, do like launching, you do these exciting things, you get a lot of positive feedback and it's like, um, but when you do the execution, there are a lot of rejections, right? So, but that's when the time when you can, when you really need to push through because if you don't then nothing would happen if you if you do um you know go to five retailers and they all reject you you're like okay i'm done this is not for me but what if the sixth one wanted to work with you so you kind of have to put through that and put your ego aside and just go in and not taking things personally and I think that's something that I'm still working on. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's very hard when you receive, receive like rejection from, you know, investors, from accelerator, from retailers, all aspects, all stakeholders. And they said no to you. Hard to not think that it's because they're just not interested in the business. You, you, you must have one of those days you're like, ah, I can't do anything. Oh, my gosh. But it's okay. Give yourself a break and, um, you know, meet friends, meet supportive people. Um, I, I have a, a group of friends who, um, they're all founders. So mm -hmm. we come in together um, like monthly to just talk about, you know, highs and lows in our journey. So we support each other in that. Um, and also I talk to my parents a lot when uh, my dad would give me some insights of like looking things in a more rational way and moving forward. So not getting, I guess, um, locked by the emotion, but thinking rationally moving forward, what are you going to do? So thinking that as a growth mindset instead, but I'm still working on it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I totally agree with you, but it's so nice to gain the support and understandings from your parents and the very similar co-founders. I've heard like entrepreneurs can get so emotionally attached to their business as they come okay. to relate to the business as if it were another person. Yeah. So yeah, as you just mentioned, uh, sometimes just realize the low things won't last for a long time and the moment will pass and the situation will change and uh, all the roller coasters, no matter how wild, are time limited. That just makes the founders or co-founders feel much better. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also like the point you mentioned to adopt a growth mindset because compared to the fixed mindset, a growth one will help the entrepreneurs to thrive on challenges and see failures as opportunities for growth that stretch existing abilities. 
Definitely. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Okay. So I know you're still a early stage founders, but let's imagine that a young founder, the person who has never founded a company, comes to you and asks for your advice about whether venture capital or bootstrapping is best for them. What would you advise them? And maybe can you kindly share a few things a founder should look at to determine if fundraising or bootstrapping is the right choice? Yeah. I think if you're a first-time founder, realistically, you always bootstrap. No matter getting resources from school, from family, from yourself, from your own saving, ex- like you know, extra time um, from your extra curriculum um, apart from school, it, it is the goal because like I, I have friends, right? They exit a company already. They go to VC, be like, I'm starting this venture, please back me. That could happen, but that rarely happened with a first-time founder because you have no traction, you have no track record for them to invest in you. So as a first-time founder, what you need to show, no matter your business holder, your customers, or your stakeholders, investors, no matter their angels or accelerators, or let's say, you know, VCs, is your execution how far you've got in your journey and what's that like milestone looking like? What is the traction? And that's difficult without your hard work. So you are the best vehicle, the best resources that you've got. And what you have to do is just hard work and push through a series of execution. That's what's going to call you as a founder, not a brilliant pitch deck. Just be like, this is the, you know, what's going to happen. We, by year three, we're going to hit this number. Like, how did you come up with this number? You made a lot of assumptions. What assumptions have you, have you tested, um, you know, throughout this journey? And with these validation and execution you've done, you can get somewhere. I mean, really depending on the nature of the company or the industry you're in, um, you know, maybe it's more for VC or or also depending on how you want to exit, right? If if you want to open a coffee shop, if you wanted to have a a tea company, uh, maybe you don't need a VC because they are also probably not looking for you because they're looking for 20 times, 30 times that big scalability, which maybe your business is not for it, but you can pay yourself a salary, you can pay your employee salary, and you are building this project that uh, you believe that empower and make an impact on people. So that's um, nature of business, I think, determines. But I think if you, the listeners, you are from Imperial and uh, wanting to engage with different angels, accelerators, and VCs, go to Enterprise Labs. They have a lot of um, people doing pro bono who are coming from external resources who you could have a chat. So maybe VC is not for you, but you should still having your pitch deck, your business plan to talk to them and get feedback. It's very important to receive feedback and moving forward. That will benefit you tremendously, I think, as a founder, early stage founder. Yeah, I agree with you. But then from your perspective, what industries usually attract the most venture capital? Yeah, I, I think this question should give it to the VC. But in my opinion, um, at least uh, from my experience, I think they they like startup with a tech aspect. If it's a consumer goods, I mean, I think for now, Me Remedy might not be the main target of what a VC is looking for. But if our 
traction is going like this, in, like incremental growth, right? That's when they're interesting because ultimately, these VCs, they their money coming from investors, they wanted to one out of ten startup, one of them gets thirty percent of the scale, so they can exit with this money to pay back the investors. So they are looking for this growth, crazy growth, this unicorn. And that determine what companies they would look for. If your company cannot do that, which for example, physical goods, very difficult because you need to have the product to sell in the first place, right? How well is the supply chain? It's very difficult for a small company in the first place, having that sort of supply chain to be able to supply when the demand comes up. It's always you see sold out and then you know they trying to manufacture and, and then see so that it's hard to have that incremental growth but you never know maybe me remedy will become a tech company in the future then we have some incremental growth and uh the trajectory will look different yeah so, yeah so I guess there are a lot of considerations you need to take into when thinking about fundraising or bootstrapping, and I think the key is to weigh those advantages and disadvantages, and then decide uh, which financial strategy best aligns with you and the success of your business venture. So I think these things are worth thinking. Yeah, I mean, ultimately they're gonna be the stakeholders in your company, right? So maybe even first you're thinking about you know raising money with angels. And eventually, you found a VC company that align absolutely align with your mission, and they are amazing to you know to, to help you in your venture. So why not go with them? Um, and vice versa, right? Um, and maybe you don't need anybody's external money. You just have your customers' money, and you're fine. So yeah, exactly. I agree. And then, as we talked a lot about your uh, early stage entrepreneurial journeys, we haven't dived into the product yet. So. Let's get into it. So with people now almost cheating coffee like wine, how do you learn to do that with tea and tell the different varieties? Yeah, so Mi Remedy is like herbal. So we focus on functional herbal tea, which is slightly different like than like loose leaf tea, like green tea, white tea, um, black tea, etc. So all these recipes come from my grandmother. And um, like I said before, we work with uh, nutritionists for the product development, meaning we pick and choose different herbs and try for the tasting, the effect, and um, how can we develop the product. In terms of the loose leaf, um, you know, different varieties and different taste, um, we've got some inquiry from people saying that they would like to also have some premium Chinese tea coming from Me Remedy. So my mom is an expert in that area. If we in the future would launch something like that, then I think she will be the lead to choose different varieties that we believe will cater the um, the England market. Yeah, got it. Yeah, but I think the tea industry is very established and saturated in the UK, and you need to find something that makes you different and stands out. And there are many large established businesses and also some great new ones. Yeah, I, I, so our USP is um, traditional Chinese medicine, modernized, um, ancient healing secrets, right? That's also why part of the reason we are hesitating to part, like uh, launch loose leaf because it's a very crowded market. You know, you have twining, tea pig, all these tea giants. Yeah. They have, you know, they man- they have manufactured themselves probably, and the margin is so low. We're competing with these people, which never price leadership will never win. We'll never win. But 
we found our market, which is um, people who are passionate about traditional uh, Chinese medicine and people who are Chinese in the UK. They really look into our value of, of the products. And I think going for that, that is a validation and we can develop different products that these people would enjoy. So I think for us, acquiring new customers, very important, but we also want like high intent retention from customers who's uh, already purchasing our products so we can develop uh, more recipes that cater them. Because I think it's not like I buy one tea and that's it, right? If I like this brand, I'll buy more varieties. And that's what we are trying to achieve here. As yeah, well. got it. It's just mm-hmm. very interesting to taste the tea and pair them with each other through the trial and errors. Yeah. And I think just as you mentioned, a lot of Western people are taking interest in the traditional Chinese herbals because I think they might just realize self-care is is really important and they embrace mental health and self-care as high priorities. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, after like pandemic, you see a lot of like, you know, a lot of wellness brands on the rise. Uh, I think in Asian or let's say Chinese culture, we have this, you know, like um, love to like do self-care and like self-pamper day where you have a, you know, hard day and then you just look after yourself with like, um, like, acupuncture or like massage or you know taking care of facial and stuff mm-hmm. and I think the western market is definitely adapting to it and more and more people are trying to do that to build a strong immune system mm-hmm. um, to fight with whatever disease are um, coming coming hopefully not nothing like COVID anymore please so I think self-care is nothing new and it's important for all ages <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah. apart from the farmer's market, how did you start getting your tea to the public? Did you set up a pilot programs for potential customers to try the tea and give feedbacks on that? Yeah, so we did. Um, before we launched products, we had three months um, recruiting like uh, customers with menstrual symptoms. So it was, uh, we sent uh, like our products to their house. So they would uh, do during their menstrual time, they would like do the survey. And also we have like one-on-one interview to understand if uh, they love the tea that they can get used to drinking that and whether that was um, helpful um, and it was great um, what if 50 percent of uh, the, cu- the customers user during that time uh, found improvement of their menstrual symptoms and pre- predominantly is the crime in terms of like bringing the tea to the public uh, we work with a, a food lab in london called lafique uh, so they help us a lot with um, like bringing the recipe to the commercialization, you know, all these process before like labeling, like everything. So they did a lot of the help when we have a set of product and wanted to bring it to the market. They did like did each process. I don't have an exact step, but I would suggest anybody wanted to do a food product try go to Lafique. I think they were free at the time. I don't know about it now, but they love to help because they associate with, I think, European unions. Did they offer some free consultations with me remedy at that time? Yeah, yeah. So we had some free sessions uh, at the beginning for sure. Um, and then if you wanted to develop further, like develop more varieties, um, if you wanted to make sure everything is is ready to go into a retailer's then I think you need to pay some extra fee. But they have some initial thing basics for you to um, utilize, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Yeah. So just a bonus tip for listeners who are listening to the show. 
it's called Lafik, so L-A-F-I-C. Okay, so yeah, so if you are interested to know more about it, just Google it. You send some samples to the potential customers and let them do the surveys afterwards. So did you do some social media promotions to deepen the connections with your stories through social media? Yeah, we we tried. We tried. It was hard to get uh, participants because, again, I think with the digital product, you need to have face-to-face interaction. At the time, we never, we haven't been to any farmer's market. So these participants are friends and families, and most of them are from Imperial. So, you know, there's like network where, you know, you go to different like WhatsApp group and recruits, and then you bring them to like a focus group. Because I think at the time you can only have like what, 10 people in your house or something. So we try to do like, do like focus group as well for like tasting um, and yeah, like brainstorming what the pre- packaging is going to look like. It, it was it was tough, but most of my network did come from Imperial at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I see the power of Imperial alumni. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into the most hardcore part of the okay. show. So okay. can you explain an example of a product development process and timeline? And maybe share maybe one point about how did you price your product? Yeah, so it's hard. I'll make an example on the pricing part. So, so I basically set a month of um, each week going to farm, different farmers market and with different pricing. So what I did is uh, you, you, you have a general idea with survey with like, you know, focus group, how much you will pay for this box and why. So you have a basic understanding of this. I think in reality, you, you never really know. And until you find your customer segmentation, it's, it's difficult for the pricing. We uh, at first um, start with the cost-based uh, pricing. So we work out, you know, how much the packaging, all these the ingredients, uh, the shipping, how much that's going to cost. And we work out, you know, the potential profit margin that we want to achieve that can cover our uh, customer acquisition costs, et cetera. So there are different scenarios we plan out um, and how that forecast will look like. And what happened is we use different scenarios and bring it to farmer's market to try. But obviously we wanted to, you know, price more and see if we can get more, but then you get feedback when you are too expensive, people simply just don't buy. So then from different trials, you'll find a sweet spot where you think is a good price for your product. I don't know if that specifically answered the question, but what I would suggest for anybody unsure about their pricing, first do survey and give them like different brackets and those with the highest vote, you bring it to an actual market and see whether people purchase it with that price. If they don't, for example, we definitely have situation where we overpriced and nobody bought any product on that day. That's a good feedback for you to know. Definitely. Uh, maybe they could include these questions in the survey or folks group. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Uh, let's get back to the first questions. Yeah. So maybe you can give an example of a product development process and timelines of the tea uh, Miramidi launched. Yeah. So our first product, it took us eight months. Um, mainly because we did a lot of pivoting and R&D. Like, uh, also, we waited to, for some herbs to mail in from China for us to, to try 
because at first we did like small batches, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's it might not be the what we w- would have done now because with our loosely form we launched uh, within two months. It was really quickly because shipping, getting the team together to try things was just much easier. The process, how you do it, is from our company. We have the recipe mm-hmm. from my grandmother. We research these ingredients and decide what to keep and what not to keep, and and then we'll bring in new recipe and old recipe, and internally we do some tasting and decide what to do and not, and then we'll get in touch with our wholesaler. To see the commercialization of this this thing, whether you know they have these product and they can outsource for us at the same time, um, inviting uh, like our intern external um, focus group to try the product and re- with with feedback. So that's our refine process, um, and at the end we'll design the packaging and we'll align with the labeling, yeah. um, and you order. It's very detailed and comprehensive. So does the whole process take around eight months for the first product? Yes. Is a very long process, or it's usual for tea、uh, products development? I don't think it's usual because with us, like sourcing the wholesaler, finding the wholesaler, finding the right ingredients, it took us so long. We had like some come like back and forth because some herbs. Uh, we did, we realized we cannot sell them because they're they have medicinal effect, so we don't want to use those. We we want to use product that you can drink every day, but、mm-hmm. not medicinal effect in traditional Chinese herbs. And sourcing a good wholesaler, we decided whether we want to use someone from China or eventually we use someone from UK wholesaler. But then you have like you know a lot of. Consideration on the pricing, the choices of maybe not as much variety for the the, the herbs, but、mm-hmm. you just have to、uh, make that choices at the time. I think your first product is always more difficult because you're navigating, you don't know the process, you、yeah. don't have standardized、um, timeline on how it's gonna look like, and I want it to look perfect. But I'm I'm happy with the product, so I think we learn a lot out of it. So it was a good learning process for us, definitely. Yeah, it usually takes longer, but it's worth trying. Yeah. Okay, and then、uh, maybe you can tell us a, a little bit about your、uh, supply chain, packaging, and environmental impact. Because we know that the UK customer care a lot about the quality of the raw materials and、uh, the factory that you choose. So yeah, maybe you can tell us a bit about your experience. Yeah. So we use、um, like. Yeah, everything sourced in the UK.、Um, our products are plastic-free.、Um, mostly, be- we source everything UK, mostly for the environmental and the shipping reasons. I mean, it's hard to produce something. People always say, you know, environmental-friendly, but how do you define it? So, in our company's point of view, is that we produce things that can be recycled and be re- recycled in a good way and. Most mostly they are compostable, so we use. But in food industry, is difficult because you need the sealability, so you can have a longer time to keep your food. But using unique material like cellulose paper, for example,、uh, they are costly. They are customized. If you start from small, it might make your fixed cost very expensive. But it's worth it. Because you'll find your customers appreciating those and willing to pay extra costs for that 
uh, I think that's the position where we stand as well, is that even with the loose leaf form we produce, we don't want to have actual product, nothing excessive in the packaging, simple. You drink this, you can recycle the herbs. There's no tea bag. You can recycle the whole package, put it in the soy, decompose mm-hmm. in a month time. So that is kind of where we want to be is that you have it and it could be gone and deposed. Yeah. yeah, 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 got it. It seems the tea and the packaging are uh, 100% plastic-free and biodegradable. Arguably, sustainability can be viewed as the key concerns going forward, uh, especially yeah. for uh, Western customers. Yeah, sustainability, I think, for consumer products uh, is the key. I think, you know, th- th- this is what government would be willing mm-hmm. to give grant for. This is what all these companies are al- willing to allocate resources, capital in, right? So if you're developing a consumer product, sustainability should be one of the key components. Yeah, I agree. So I guess it's also a very good point for promotion. I mean, like quality, uh, uniquenesses, uh, story of the brands and the prices margin. Yeah, all these will make a very great business. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So I guess apart from this, you mentioned about the agency who will do the packagings and uh, do the customer service for you. So did they also in charge of the packaging part of the whole process? Oh, the agency, no. So they are more for the technical part where if you want to bring, let's say, a jam to the market, how can you make that commercialized? And they will like standardize the process based basically the technical part for you product, pr- produce the product to the commercial ready. But for the packaging, everything, like find a graphic designer, find someone from UAL or RCA. You can do find somebody or from Upwork um, and produce like some brilliant packaging for you. Yeah, got it. So you are a solo founder and then you outsourced all these services to, to the experts in that area. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I did it. So would that be really expensive? In my situation, I think it was very cost effective because at first I thought about employing somebody from probably more like a junior position. But then because I'm just doing my own, I don't have time to train anybody. I would rather to employ someone with the skill set for the time they need to be for this scope of the project and did it. So, for example, graphic design for like some newsletter, like social media, like whoever has that skill set and prove the traction, like the ability they could do it, then do it. I mean, moving forward, we might need someone who is more experienced with uh, working with wholesalers um, and retailers. But for now, just, I guess, getting the product ready to sell, I think it is completely doable as a small company. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the many goal you would like to reach at this stage, at this point of time. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Finally, how can our listeners further follow your work online? Yeah. So uh, if, if anybody want to, um, you know, have a chat, coffee chat with me, happy to uh, can add my LinkedIn. It's Sophia Lan, S-O-P-H-I-A-L-A-N. And uh, we you know, try our tea. Uh, we have, you know, try some modern ancient healing goodies. Uh, the website is um, www.meremedy, M-I-R-E. M-E-D-Y.com. Okay, great. So yeah. so for listeners who didn't follow with uh, Sophia just mentioned, we also put the address of the website down in the description part. So you can uh, have a look over there and then maybe try the tea from Miramity. <laughs> so I just have one last question. 
how does the tea taste like? Is, is it sweet or it's really plain? Yeah, so like, it's so interesting that you said that because I think that's always the first question like come across when someone like want to buy it. What mm-hmm. does it taste like? So our best seller, the Moon Tea, focus on menstruation. It's like naturally sweet, heaten, and a floral taste with a spicy aftertone. So it took us like so long to find the right spiciness because again, when we did the experimental experimentation, like we realized the spiciness level, the septiness with the, the the Chinese customer and the English customers were slightly different. Like Chinese customer has higher tolerance. I mean, obviously it's a generalization, but we mm-hmm. tried to incorporate that. So we did like several focus group adjusting different levels to see whether this is something you can accept because eventually we want to get into the habit that you can drink so that can really benefit you if you don't like drinking it even if it's helpful it's not going to do anything to you right but when I see you next time I could give you some samples you could try <laughs> yeah I think the sensory exposure and educational component is really important when it comes to any drinks and food <laughs> oh yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah, I think it's a pity our listeners couldn't have a taste of the teas by listening to our show, but at least you get some uh, description of how does the tea taste like. Yeah, I think all these are uh, very inspiring. And uh, thank you so much for your time. And I think good luck in the future with Miramadi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, so in this episode, Sophia walked us through her startup journey with steps to take to make the idea into a business. And we talk a lot about uh, being a founder, entrepreneur, or a business owner can have many exciting and thrilling moments, but it is also punctuated with periods of doubt, slump, and anxiety. And much of the success is a waiting game. We need the patience to ride each wave of the journey. And if we have the patience and resilience, then the small incremental gains will ensure further explorations. Yeah, so I guess that's a wrap for the show. And for listeners, thanks for listening to TNT Podcast and indulging in some few good insights for the month. See you next time.